The countdown is on to fight time. This is Big Fight Weekend. Now, here is your host, TJ Reeves. Well, here we go with one of the biggest fights of 2022 on the horizon. Great to be back on the Big Fight Weekend preview as Alexander Usyk and Anthony Joshua are going to do this again. The rematch from Jeddah, Saudi Arabia coming Saturday night, unified WBA, IBF, WBO world heavyweight title fight. We're here to talk about that and everything else that's going to go on with that card and some other big time fights as part of the Big Fight Weekend Preview. I am merely TJ Reeves. He is our insider. We love our content partner, Dan Rayfield, from uh, the Fight Freaks Unite Substack, as well as right here on Big Fight Weekend and the, the uh, podcast and the website and everything that goes on here. My friend, we have gotten here to Fight Week, and it's such a big deal that we've even released this preview podcast a little earlier than normal. We are coming your way a day and afternoon earlier putting this out as we head towards Saturday night in Saudi Arabia, Saturday afternoon, adjust your time zone accordingly, uh, in the United States. So it's good to be with you, and there's plenty to get into. Roll our sleeves up for this rematch. I know you're excited like I am. Well, I'd say after having, uh, you know, a few fights for the last few weeks, but nothing earth-shaking, no big, big-time fights, we got ourselves a very big weekend. Uh, you got big-time heavyweight title fight is the main attraction, but there's other cards you got. We'll talk about it. You got Emmanuel Neverett with the featherweight title defense on Saturday. You have one more Figueroa headlining against Harry Lipinets on Showtime uh, in the replacement uh, with Lipinets taking the place of Broner. Um, so we got we got those three are you know pretty significant shows all the way around. All right, so a lot to get to. Again, thank you for finding us. However you did, social media link. Dan does a great job of helping promote what we're doing here. So if you found us that way through the Big Fight Weekend website, through Dan's Substack, make sure you're following or subscribing. You'll get all the content automatically if you hit that follow or subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcast. Uh, we come your way again in the preview mode heading into the weekend, usually out on Friday, again, earlier this week. Uh, for the reasons mentioned, because of the magnitude. And then we come in on a recap podcast off the weekend as well. You get all of that automatically. You get notified automatically if you're following and subscribing. And again, thank you to the audience as you continue uh, to find us by the thousands and thousands and thousands every week. Thank you to the audience that continues to find us and grow here as part of the Big Fight Weekend podcast feed. Uh, okay, so let me set the table. We got a little news of the week, including Deontay Wilder's return, the former WBC heavyweight champion. It's not going to be all heavyweights, but it's a lot of heavyweight conversation here that we're going to have. Uh, Wilder's uh, return for 2022 is set. We're going to talk about that in a few moments. We got news about Vasily Lomachenko, the former world lightweight champion, the former junior uh, lightweight world champion. He is back. He's in the United States. Dan has info and on when and where. That's coming up in a few moments. Uh, you were part of a media, let's call it high-end conglomerate of big-time writers and contributors who talked to Anthony Joshua uh, earlier in this week. We're going to hear some of the Q&A that you had with Anthony Joshua in a few minutes. And, and this is like this is like those old infomercial commercials in the 80s and 90s. And I know I'm going to make you smile. It's like the Ginsu steak knives. How much would you pay now? $19.95, $29.95. But wait, there's more because you also scored an interview speaking of Omar Figueroa with the former world champion, Omar Figueroa, headlining for Showtime. They're going to hear Q&A with you and Omar Figueroa. You have been a busy dude this week, Dan. Just it's, real been, quick. it's good. It's good to be busy. Uh, and, and it wasn't even earlier in the week with uh... – Anthony Joshua. I mean, I know when we put this out, but what what the interview session with Joshua was, and by the way, the media access 
for not just for me, but for everybody around the world, has been very, very limited and tough with this Joshua Usyk fight. Uh, Matchroom claims it's because it's the Saudi group that is in control of everything. And it's been very difficult because they don't necessarily have the same connections. I don't know what's going on, but it's been a real pain in the neck. But uh, Joshua got on a call with about six or seven, eight American press on Wednesday morning, Eastern time, U.S., right after the uh, final news conference in Saudi Arabia and uh, spoke to us for about 20, 25 minutes. He was fantastic. As always, the thing with Joshua, once you get him in the chair, so to speak, you get him in the interview session, he's a pleasure to deal with. He really is. I've interviewed him numerous times, both one-on-one on on these kind of calls over the phone. He's a real, real uh, good guy to deal with, uh, has a lot to say, thoughtful with his responses. Uh, So I was happy to talk to him. he, 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 people can hear it, I guess. It was kind of funny where he, he was lamenting, you know, how come you're not here at the fight? Uh, that's a story for a different day. <laughs> but anyway, um, so people will hear from Joshua, some of his thoughts about, uh, about going into this fight. We talked yep. a little bit. My, my question, my line of questioning that folks will hear was uh, pertaining in, in large measure to uh, the reasons that he made his training change and what Garcia, Robert Garcia's new trainer, is bringing to the table for him. All right, so we'll hear those Q&A questions in just a few minutes here on the podcast. Omar Figueroa conversation at length. He has had basically one fight in the last three and a half years. So he's coming off a layoff, hasn't been very active, and again, it's an opponent switch. Dan talks to him about all of that as that's the headline fight for the Showtime card later in the night on Saturday night out of South Florida, not far from where I am. DJ, the, the, big, uh, Casino. Yeah. the big thing with uh, Omar Figueroa, uh, you know, he was very aggravated that Adrian Broner, uh, you know, used mental health as his reason for not fighting. Now, I don't know what Broner's situation is, but but Omar was of the opinion that uh, he was probably not on weight or in good shape because the word had come to him and his team that, you know, Broner had been out partying and doing this and that and not uh, taking his training camp seriously. But the point was also Omar has talked about his own mental health situation yep. when the fight was first announced. So it's not like something that just cropped up in the last you know week before the fight. And so he really, you know, went in deep about all of his own afflictions and issues and, wow. you know, a litany of uh, his own issues and, and uh, dealing with them. So that was our, our conversation was really a lot about that uh, with, with other, with fight stuff as part of it, but it w- wasn't just focused on, you know, how are you going to throw your jab against lippiness? But, we talked a little bit about mostly about his dealing with his own issues and coming back and, you know, cause his career has kind of been in the dumper. He's lost some fights. He's been stopped. And uh, as you said, he's been off for a long time. So this is kind of like last chance saloon for, for him. It seems to me. And he knows so, it. My man Rayfield knows how to tease. So that's coming later in this podcast. Stand by that's coming as well with Omar Figueroa. And again, headlining at the hard rock casino in South Florida. And again, Emmanuel Navarrete, Eduardo Barrez is for Navarrete's, World featherweight title. That's in San Diego, California. We got we got Saudi Arabia. We got South Florida. We got San Diego, California for Navarrete Baez on the ESPN top rank card. So a lot to get to and preview on this podcast. All right. So quickly before we get to some of your Q and A with Anthony Joshua, uh, Deontay Wilder, Robert Hellenius. We were talking about this on the weekend on the recap uh, podcast. Wilder is back. It is confirmed by PBC Barclays Center, Brooklyn. That is October 15th and the undercard, at least the, the co-feature fight being announced. Dan, pick up the trail there that it's now official. Go ahead. Yeah, they announced the uh, event on Wednesday. Not a surprise in terms of the main event or the location being Barclays Center. 
uh, Fox pay-per-view. And they also, there'll be two other fights that they announced for the undercard uh, in due time. But the main uh, co-feature fight that they also announced, which is actually a pretty interesting fight. It should be a pretty good fight, if you ask me. And that's a super middleweight, I believe, a semifinal WBC elimination fight between Caleb Plant and Anthony Durrell, who are both former super middleweight world title holders. Uh, and they have been chirping at each other back and forth over the last couple of years. Um, they, they've been on the same cards together at times. You know, when Caleb Plant had his big fight, uh, uh, when he lost his most recent fight to Canelo Alvarez, it was Darrell who scored a spectacular knockout on the undercard. But anyway, they're fighting each other in, in uh, really uh, the kind of fight where loser is in a big, <laughs> is in a really bad spot and the winner is mm -hmm. really going to take a step forward. All right, so that is all coming in October. Again, Andy Ruiz, Luis King Kong Ortiz will be before that uh, coming Labor Day weekend in Los Angeles. And so we're just wondering how all this under the PBC umbrella well, I'll, kind I'll of mention, factors and what will happen later on. Yeah, I mentioned one other thing. They did also announce that the, the fight between Deontay Wilder and Hellenius, which in my opinion, by the way, is a good fight. Uh you know, you can quarrel and quibble about whether you think it should be on paper. We don't know what the price is yet, but whatever. But I like that fight, and I, and I think the undercard is worthwhile also that they announced. But anyway, uh, it, it's being billed as a WBC elimination fight, probably a semifinal eliminator. But as I said to you on our preview, if Tyson Fury, big if, actually does vacate the WBC title by the deadline of August 26th that the WBC has imposed, it wouldn't shock me if suddenly that eliminator between, Wild, uh, between Wilder and Hellenius became for the vacant WBC title, given their positions in the, in the ratings and the fact that there's lots of guys in between right. them that are otherwise occupied. But you and I agree. He's not vacating. Yeah, I'm he's just not, saying he's, he's just going to say, I'm hanging on to it. He already fought the mandatory. We'll see, but I got you. You're covering all eventualities. That's what you do. That's who you are. That's why we love you. So but it's listen, the main thing is whatever you think about it, whether it's for the title, not for the title, you're a boxing fan. You like heavyweights. It's a dangerous fight. It's a dangerous fight for Deontay Wilder. There is no doubt. This is not a and joke. It's a real dangerous a fight knockout. for Robert Hellenius also. Yeah. yeah. Good match. We like that. We like, uh, we like both of those. Uh, another news item, and that is Vasily Lomachenko again, makes his way to the United States into Los Angeles earlier this week, and you have more on date certain and opponent for his next bout, his first bout, actually of 2022 i have that correct right first bout of this calendar year with everything that's going on in war-torn ukraine all right fill in the blanks here on the latest well as folks know he he did last fight in december at madison square garden he scored a one-sided victory against richard comey also a former lightweight world title holder and then he was supposed to have uh the shot against the unified title holder george cambosis in june he backed out because he decided it would be better for him to stay in and uh, be in ukraine as part of the defense of the country with the Russian invasion and, and Haney, Devin Haney took his place, beat Cambosis and not only uh, took the unified titles, but added it to his own WBC title to become the undisputed champion. And then uh, in July, Lomachenko informed top rank that he would be ready to come back to the ring uh, by October. And so that is what the plan is. He arrived in Los Angeles earlier in the week to begin uh, his training camp for that fight. The date is now locked in. Uh, they don't have a site yet, so I guess I guess theoretically it could change if they have to match up the date with the venue, but it's supposed to be October 22nd, and his opponent is going to be a fighter named Jermaine Ortiz, who uh, is an undefeated fighter, 16-0-1 with 26 knockouts from Worcester, Massachusetts. Not a well-known guy, but he really made uh, somewhat of a name for himself to some degree because in his most recent fight, that was in May, he looked really good, and he won a decision against the former 
130 pound title holder, Jamel Herring, sent him into retirement. And so that's a big win over a former champion. And now he gets the opportunity to take on Lomachenko, who's going to be coming off, like you said, coming off the layoff. And here's the idea here is if Devin Haney beats Cambosis in their rematch, and that fight, I am told, will be formally announced uh, Monday, Tuesday, and Lomachenko beats Jermaine Ortiz, uh, you can write it at least in pencil that sometime uh, in the spring, we'll see Lomachenko challenging Haney for the undisputed title. And that is a big time fight. Yeah, no doubt. And so some things now lining up, uh, lightweight division, heavyweight division. We like all of that. Again, we know why most of you are here. There's going to be lots of conversation uh, from here on out on Usyk, Joshua, and the rematch. Again, a conversation with Omar Figueroa in a little bit, but let's not delay any further because, again, as Dan made reference to, he was part of a group of, uh, of high-end boxing uh, writers and insiders that got a chance to talk with Anthony Joshua together uh, via Zoom uh, earlier on Wednesday as we release this podcast now on Thursday. Let's get to your Q&A right now with the former unified heavyweight champion. I'll, I'll just say one thing. They did limit us to about two or three questions. So it wasn't like extensive, each of us. So just This is just my little part of it. Let's hear what you had for the former champ, who's now the challenger trying to get the titles back, particularly about changes in his corner to start with. Here you go. So when you, when you uh, as Mike uh, talked about the, what happened after the first fight with the loss to Alexander Usyk, you set out to make some changes on your team and you now are with Robert Garcia. And I'm wondering a couple things about that. Can you take me through the thought process of what was it that you felt like you needed to make the change? You'd been with Rob McCracken your whole career. Um, he obviously helped you get through all those championship fights and certainly the rematch victory against Ruiz. So if you could just tell me your thought process about making the change uh, and, and bringing in Robert uh, Garcia to, to head up your corner. You know, Lennox speaks some truth. Like, you can't take your your school teacher to university. But we did it. We conquered the world. We proved, I like proving people wrong. But at the same time, like, um, Rob's busy as well with the Olympic team as well. So it wears his time. So, like, after the Ruiz fight, I, I knew that I needed to make changes. I, I'd made the changes within, like, I think a four-month turnaround, a four- to five-month turnaround. Like, But that's, like, including training camp, bringing in new coaches. So we've done that. I completely changed my style. And then this time around, um, so if you look from 2019, you can probably see this transition happening anyway. It's, it's not just like a, I'm not someone that just, like, acts instinctively. I kind of have a thought process behind the madness. So over a few years, the process was happening anyway, and now I'm here. Can you, can you talk a little bit about what you believe Robert brings to your team? And I was kind of surprised when I heard about this the other day, and then Eddie uh, mentioned it when I was watching the news conference that that you and Robert have actually been already in Saudi Arabia for the better part of like a month before the fight, which I, I was surprised by. So if you could talk about what Robert has brought to you and why it was that you decided to go out to Saudi Arabia uh, so far in advance of the fight. Rob is, uh, he doesn't like give too much praise. <laughs> He's like um, a taskmaster. I'm like, shit, I thought I looked good. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, but then you've got to rewatch the videos and you see like where your leaks are. So we do a lot of film study. And um, his thing, like at heavyweight boxing, um, we, we pick punches with big guys, you know, walking up a flight of stairs takes energy. But he's got me throwing a lot of punches. Um, 
also you got to think defensively I always say like offence is defence defence is offence they both work hand in hand but the more you throw the more chance you got to win it really so my my shoulders my 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 arms have to stay in the rhythm so as heavyweights it's not just about power shots as well you've got to set the shot up which is helping me with as well so it's cool I've got I've got to go in there with a mindset to hurt my opponents that's what he's bringing to the table and just real quick, what about that part about going out to Saudi Arabia so uh, far in advance of the fight? I just believe, like, all right, we, we've done five weeks here. So four weeks of, of, of training and then uh, one week of training slash media. But you put yourself in a, in a situation where, like, you have a week of shit training, a week of bad sleep, or just settling in, like, when you unpack your bags and stuff. So that's three weeks now of training, which goes like that. Then you, then you have, like, bad training sessions because not every training session is perfect. Then you've got to go back and push yourself to get better. So that's already now two weeks of good training. So realistically, time-wise, it's five weeks. But in terms of quality, you, I, I realise this is only going to be two to three weeks of, like, good quality. So I need as much time as possible here to maximise the amount of quality training I can get while I'm in Saudi. Gotcha. Anthony, best of luck on Saturday. Respect, brother. Thank you. So again, as you mentioned, you got a couple of questions in. We wanted to play those here on the podcast, including him getting there and getting acclimated for a while. Uh, tell me a little more about the answers. And again, realizing this is an audio podcast, but you actually got to see Anthony Joshua on the Zoom. How did he look to you? You know, ex facial expressions, body language when he was answering. Give he us was. Some more uh, insight. This 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 uh, this little Zoom session that lasted about 20, 25 minutes took place immediately after the formal final pre-fight press conference. So he must have gone into a back room and they put him on with us. He was relaxed. He was smiling. He, you know, he he knows me and he knew, I think, a couple other guys on the call. So, you know, he joked around with a few of us. I mean, he was in great spirits, I have to say. I mean, and Anthony is a pretty chill guy. Before his fights, I know I've covered other fights of his. I was at the Klitschko fight and spent time with him. I was at the Andy Ruiz first fight, same sort of thing. Um, you know, he, it's an important fight for him because he's coming off the loss, obviously. But in terms of the magnitude of events, he really doesn't seem to let that bother him. Like, to me, it's like water off a duck's back. It's another day at the office. He, you know, he knows it's important. He knows there's a lot on the line uh, if he doesn't win this fight and what could be the case if he does win this fight. But, uh, you know, he's making a massive amount of money for this fight. The estimates are he may be making as much as 70 plus million dollars for this event mm. uh, because of all the money that the, uh, the Saudi group is putting up for it. Uh, and as, as Floyd Mayweather has uh, said in the past, when you're making that kind of money, there ain't no losers. Well, um, right. So, so he, he was in a great, he was in a great mood of great spirits and uh, you know, seems, seems locked in, seems confident. Um, but that's always the way he seems. And uh, we've seen what happens sometimes. Uh, you know, it's it's a real it's a real uh, it's a real tough fight, especially if you go back and and you watch what occurred in the first fight, and you know the the uh, the caliber of of athlete and fighter that Alexander Usyk is. That it's a really it's going to be a tough fight, I think, for both of these men. All right, so we will talk more on the nuts and bolts of what we think happens a little later in the podcast. Just hang in there; that conversation is coming. But one more on your line of questioning in your mind, is it a good thing that he's been there that long in Saudi Arabia getting acclimated? What's your armchair cheap seats opinion about getting there that early as opposed to getting there, let's say, a week or 10 days before? But instead, he's been spending, as, a, as I believe in your question, he's been spending several weeks there to get yeah. ready to go for this. No, I was a little surprised when I heard that he had been there five weeks. I was like, that's interesting. Um, but I think that's a good thing because 
you take away any issues with travel, with acclim- uh, acclimatizing, with getting your sleep in order, with, you know, mm-hmm. understanding your schedule, you know, where you're going to shower, where you're going to train, where you're going to eat, all the things that go into preparing for a fight. By, by the time you get to fight week, you, you, you're, you're used to it. By the time you've been someplace that many weeks, you know, I think it's probably good that it's, it allows him to uh, avoid distractions when he's in, in the UK. Obviously, there's a lot of people around that are you know, maybe kind of tracking him down. I mean, that sort of thing. Uh, I think there was probably more privacy once he was already in Saudi Arabia, where, you know, I'm sure he had privacy and was treated very well by everybody. Uh, it's one of the reasons he's gone back there for a second time because they treated him so well the first time around. Um, so I think it's a good thing. I, 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 remind, I mean, I'm not saying it's the same situation, but the first thing I thought of when I heard that he'd been there for that long, and, and I'm not saying that Usyk is taking it lightly, but he hasn't been there for five weeks. It made me right off the bat think of when Hasim Rockman went to South Africa several weeks before his fight with Lennox Lewis and ended up scoring one of the biggest upsets right. in heavyweight history with the knockout. Now, Lennox wasn't taking that fight seriously. I believe Alexander Usyk is taking it seriously. So I'm just making the point that it did Rockman a lot of good by being there much earlier. He was in great shape and you know was used to everything. And uh, I don't see how it could be bad for, for AJ to be there that soon. And uh, you know I don't think it'd do anything but help. All right, more on that fight. Usyk Joshua, the rematch in just a little bit. But without further delay, again, Showtime will have the main event involving Omar Figueroa now and Sergey Lipinets. That will be their main event coming Saturday night later after the Usyk Joshua card is done. Well, after that, this is in the Hard Rock Casino in South Florida. Hollywood, Florida is where that will come. Dan Raphael earlier this week spoke at length on many subjects, as he said, including mental health, the matchup with the new opponent, Lipinets, and more with Omar Figueroa. All right, everybody. I'm now joined by the former WBC lightweight champion, Omar Figueroa, who is going to headline the Showtime card Saturday night from the Hard Rock Casino in Hollywood, Florida. Quadruple header action coming your way. Four-fight card. He is in the main event. You probably thought he'd be fighting Adrian Broner, but in fact, he has had a late change of opponent. He'll be facing the former junior welterweight title holder, Sergey Lipinets. And now I welcome in Omar Figueroa. Omar, how are you? And thank you so much for doing this. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. I'm doing, I mean, doing good. I'm still fighting. I, I get to do my thing, and, and you know, so we're happy. We're happy about that. So as we tape this, it is Monday afternoon. Uh, the world became aware of the change because Broner announced that he was pulling out of the fight on Monday morning. Uh, by later in the afternoon on Monday, uh, PBC and TGB Promotions had Lipinets uh, locked in to be your opponent. He was already going to be on the non televised portion of this undercard. I know they do a great job of making sure that, that there's some kind of issue uh, with their main fight, that they have somebody that's on standby to fill in. So give me your reaction when you found out. Was Did you find out like we all did Monday that he was pulling out of the fight? What was your reaction? No, well, I found out uh, yesterday evening. I mean, we, we figured it was going to be hard for him to, you know, to make it to the fight because of the weight and all that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it still hit me like a ton of bricks. Obviously I'm disappointed. I've been wanting to fight Broner for the longest time. And, uh, uh, you know, but more than anything, I think what, what really pissed me off the most is the fact that he's, you know, using mental health as an excuse. And I, for us that are, that are, 
really going through it and that have that have been you know struggling with it and again i'm not taken away from the fact that he clearly does have mental health issues um it's just we know that's not you know that's not the reason why and uh and yeah so it's just been it's just been that processing all that and and it's just something that i need that i need to get over right so you feel like it was a weight issue not just whatever's going on in his life or his mind yeah definitely um, did you get some reports from training camp from spies or you just heard things or like, I know he's had trouble with the weight in his last couple of fights. He hasn't really been that active. Uh, is that sort of what led you to that belief or do you know something more particular about what was going on in his camp? I mean, you know, we become so intertwined when we're, when we're meant to fight somebody. So, you know, a uh, little birdie told us that's close to camp and all that that he was out partying, that he was really heavy, that he wasn't really focused and blah, blah, blah. So we were kind of prepared for, for this to happen. And, uh, so that, that didn't really come as much of a surprise. What really ticked me off is the fact that he's banking on the whole mental health thing to, to, to get out of it, you know? Well, we've seen fighters talk about that much more openly in the recent past. You have, uh, of course, the, the first one that I can think of that really made it um, okay for fighters, let's say, to talk about it publicly. He was embraced and uh, I think did a lot of good with the way he spoke about it, which was Tyson Fury. We've seen it from Ryan Garcia uh, and some others. Um, I know when this fight was first announced, where you were going to be fighting Broner, in your comments, you talked about your own mental health situation. Uh, and maybe that was one of the reasons why you've had some layoffs and maybe not as performed as well in recent fights as you would have liked to. Can you talk about that aspect of, of your life? And do you have any sort of um, empathy for what Broner may be going through, even if you're ticked off that you think he's too heavy for the fight? No, I mean, of course I do have empathy because I know how much can affect you. You know, um, I know I know the, the kind of work that I put in. and I know the kind of boxer, fighter, professional that I am and you know when I started doing my research into the whole mental health thing I realized just how much I was impacted and how much I I I made it that much harder for myself and it you know my life just in the in a way just made sense yeah but but then again like I said I we all can clearly see that Broner has mental health issues and and I'm not trying to take away from that, you know. If anything, I I you know I, I do hope that he that he's taking that seriously at least, and that he goes and seeks help, and you know he uses his platform instead of posting dumb stuff, which he usually does. Uses his platform to talk about mental health and talk about you know about his journey with mental health and what he's doing to get better and how he can help himself and how others can help themselves and you know just all that all that stuff so uh omar what was going on in your life uh that that made you realize you were having these issues and how and and obviously now you're back in the ring what did you do to get your own situation under control because this is more about you than about broner yeah well i you know i i i i have adhd and and uh I have PTSD and I have all these things, which when you start looking into them, like I said, they, they impact your life greatly. And so to me, it just didn't make sense how, cause I, I'd always been 
pretty successful at anything that I tried. You know, I, I have it, I have this, this will instilled in me that whatever I do, I'm going to do it hundred percent and I'm going to be the best at it, no matter what it is. And that's something that I always held true, you know, and anything that I did, I, I always excelled and, and I, and I was successful in everything I tried. And, you know, I always, I always put in the work though. That, that was the main thing. So these last couple of fights, um, I, again, I was doing everything I had to do. I, I put in the work. I did everything that I, that I felt it was in my power to be able to control and be successful and, and keep doing what I was doing. But obviously, as, as we know, like things just, things just weren't working out, you know, and, and mentally it just, it just became a lot. And uh, I, I just couldn't make sense of why things were happening the way they were happening. And, and nothing really started making sense at that point. So that's when, you know, I, I put everything that was outside of myself. I kind of put it in front of me and I, and I started analyzing everything. And I, I couldn't put the blame on any of that because I couldn't. So that's when I was like, you know what? Like I started looking inward. I, I, on my YouTube channel or not my YouTube channel, but like on my, on my YouTube, whenever I was browsing through YouTube, I, I caught a glimpse of this, uh, thumbnail that said something about PTSD. And I always joked about having PTSD. From, uh, from what though? Did you think you had PTSD? What incident? From my childhood growing up with my with my dad <laughs> and everything I went through with that. Uh, so I clicked the thumbnail and started watching the video and I started to relate a little bit too much with it. So it, it scared me and I guess I wasn't ready to, to hear it. So browsing through the thumbnails that I guess were related to, to the whole PTSD thing, I saw one about ADHD. So I felt like ADHD is a much lighter subject, you know? So I, I click on that one and I started relating to that one a lot too. And the thumbnail read, uh, getting diagnosed as an adult. So I'm an adult now. So I, you know, I clicked on it and like I, this guy was talking about how he was pretty successful too and how he was able to do this and that and blah, blah, blah. But it was just so, so much harder. And, it, you know, it, it just took to like X amount of extra steps and blah, 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 blah. So I was like, hmm, like ADHD sounds like something that could be potentially kind of hard to deal with and, you know, kind of a big deal. So, so yeah, after that, I, I reached out to a psychiatrist. I Googled psychiatrist near me. I just wanted to, to, so you, you know, so you did go for professional help then, correct? And and uh, the, the folks who may be listening can't see you nodding yes. But what did when you went there? You know, if you're comfortable talking about it, what did they tell you? Like in terms of like a diagnosis or, uh, you know, the way to sort of help you get straight, get get better. Yeah, well, I mean, I I honestly was really curious about taking medication to see if that could help me in some sort of way. Uh, when I started doing my own research on ADHD and all that, um, you know, like I said, my, my life started making sense. So after that, it was just the flood of information and, and, uh, I, I don't know, it was, it was just a lot, 
you know, and, and uh, I started, like I said, I started taking medication and I feel like that, that was really helpful too. But then the medication makes it hard to work out. I don't know. It, it's just been, it's been a lot. It's been a roller coaster since I got diagnosed. And then I, I could be, it, you know, it wasn't just ADHD. So I feel like ADHD just kind of exa- exacerbates everything else that I had going on too. You know, I got diagnosed with bipolar disorder OCD, anxiety, depression, like uh, all those, all those good things, and then well, obviously like the PTSD too. You know, how so long ago did you get diagnosed, Omar? It August of last year, so it's been okay. About a year. So, do you feel like? I mean, obviously, you're gonna fight on Saturday, so I have to think that you, if you didn't feel like you were uh, in the right place to be back in uh, in the boxing ring, that you would probably not be fighting this Saturday. So. Clearly, uh, things have gotten better for you at this point. Maybe oh, hell yeah. Okay. Hell yeah. I mean, it's been a hell of a journey, and that's why I've been so honest and open uh, with with the public, you know? Not just that, but I feel like at the same time, it, 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 it lifted a huge weight off my shoulders because, you know, I have a lot of fans that, that have been worried or asking, like, what was going on and blah, blah, blah. Well, it's got to be so comforting the- to know now you at least know what you're dealing with. Like the, exactly. the not knowing is hard. If you're like feeling away and you don't know what the heck is happening, yeah. now you do. I it's got to be better. Now I now I at least can make sense of my emotions and my thoughts and 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 what I'm going through. At least I can put some, you know, I can categorize it somewhere and and try and find a way to deal with it as opposed to you know before when I was just blindsided by everything and. I, you know, I felt like a, like a pinball going down right. all these crazy emotions. So where does then boxing fit into your life as far as making sure that you get back into the way you were to be, you know, for lack of a better word, normal, let's say, but to just be able to carry on with your life and your career besides just the constant worries about what's going on inside your mind. I mean, boxing, I would imagine is a big part of like the healing process, I guess, or whatever. Well, no, I mean... Yes, yes, I know. Boxing was a huge part of the reason why I was so messed up. Uh, but you know, at the same time, it's I feel like that's one of the the main things that I that I'd have to that I would have to do is is face my demons and and be the master of my own destiny, and that's that's kind of what I'm doing. So briefly, then, because I know you got to go shortly. Uh, just tell me a little bit about what you expect out of Lipinets. I know it's a change of opponent. He's a much different kind of style fighter than Adrian Broner. Uh, what do you What do you think of him? Are you Have you done any studying of him at all? Because this has been such a short notice type of situation. And uh, how do you? Uh, I mean, look, you've lost two fights in a row. Had some long layoffs. I mean, it seems like a, to me anyway a pretty pivotal pivotal uh, fighting your career uh, if you want to keep things going. Uh, tell me your thoughts about about Lipinets. Yeah, no, I mean, we know that he's a tough opponent. Uh, we know that he's a tough fighter. We know that he's strong. We know that he's a former world champion. So he he has the, the pedigree of, of any great fighter. Um, and we just know that we put in the work. We're confident in the work we put in, regardless whether it, it was for Lipinets or Broner. We, we put in a hell of a lot of work. We've been in camp for a very long time. We know we're in shape. Everything's good, and it's just... We're we're ready for Saturday. The the feeling I get from the from the fans I've seen uh, make their opinions known on social media. My own thoughts are when the change was made, strictly from the point of view of a fan who might watch, and from an entertainment point of view, 
it feels like this might actually be a better fight than Broner uh, because Broner, whatever his situation was, hadn't really been in a, in, in a crowd pleaser in a while. You're known for that. Lipinitz is known for that. Do you feel like, at least from that point of view, it's a better fight? Well, yeah. I mean, like I said, I, I'm I, I'm ready and I was willing to get in the ring and duke it out with whoever the heck. So right. to me, just being able to get in the ring and, and throw some punches and, and you know, I, I'm just... I've been in camp for a very long time. We've been preparing for a very long time, especially after we pushed it back from the original July 23rd date. So we're just, we're ready to get this over with. We're ready to get in the ring and, and let it let, let the punches fly. And I'll leave it with this then, uh, Omar. How, how significant and important is for you to get a victory? Because you, you lost pretty one-sided decision to Ugas back in 2019. You had the layoff. Uh, you got stopped in the last fight against Alba Ramos in the sixth round. Uh, probably you would be the first to admit not your best performance. Uh, how do you how do you change things around? How do you how do you change up and get back on track? I just go out there and fight my heart out and try and have as much fun as possible. There you go. I know it's going to be fun for us watching. I hope it's as much fun for you inside the ring. Omar, thank you very much for your open. Uh, mindedness about this and your your candidness about talking about the subjects of your mental health and all. I wish you nothing but the best on Saturday. Thank you. Appreciate it. There you go, everybody. That's Omar Figueroa, former lightweight champ, back in the ring Saturday night in the Showtime headliner against Sergey Lipinets. Omar, thank you. Yes, sir. All right, again, as you laid out a lot of that about his mental health and about Broner, and let me just say this. I mean, it's easy uh, right now to kick a guy while he's down. I've been critical of Broner here uh, as being a clown and, and continuing to be given opportunities that maybe he doesn't deserve uh, in terms of, of uh, the Pacquiao fight and then the subsequent stuff or whatever. Clearly there are problems and he has been in and out of jail with problems. There are clearly problems there. So I'm not going to sit here and make fun of Adrian Broner on that, but I understand Figueroa's frustration, which is I have dealt through my own issues. I'm ready to go. And if this is, as he is hearing more about Broner not being in shape, not having taken his training seriously, it was potentially jeopardizing the whole thing for Figueroa. I can understand that frustration, Dan, off your interview. Oh, most definitely. I will say this though, and you got to give props to uh, PBC, to TGB promotions, they have, like other promoters also, but they've excelled at it, and they've also had to deal with it more often, it seems to me, just on uh, bad luck, is that they always seem to have, or not seem to, on purpose, by design, they have fighters that are reputable and capable and, and ready to go, either on standby to be ready and be in shape and not fight if they're not needed, or in undercard fights, preliminary bouts, where if they are needed, they are, you know, their deal is increased. You know, they have no what is going on ahead of time and they move up the card into the bigger slot. So in the case of Lipinets, he was going to be in an eight round fight on the non-TV portion of the card. It wasn't even part of Showtime streaming uh, of some of the preliminary fights that they often or that they are doing at their YouTube and their Facebook pages. So when Broner was out, Lipinets was was the guy that was on deck. And, and it was like they they knew that if this, something happened and it, by the way, if Figueroa, had fallen out and Broner was still in, then Lipinets would have got the call against Broner. Right. So their team was ready and prepared to know that this was a possibility and they were able to get that done in very short order. So you didn't see a long, it wasn't like they had to spend two, three days looking for a new opponent. Lipinets was there, you know, training, same weight class, ready to go. And in my opinion, TJ, 
Omar Figueroa against Sergey Lipinets as a boxing fan is a much more entertaining fight on paper than anything with Adrian Broner. So I'm not kicking him while he's down, but Adrian Broner, uh, mental health problems, no mental health problems, in shape, not in shape, whatever, hasn't been in a decent fight in like five years. Right. So uh, Lipinets style-wise, compared to Omar style, I believe will mesh for a much more crowd-pleasing kind of fight. Um, because You know, it's not a big stakes fight. I mean, their careers are you know, in many ways at stake because they're both coming off of losses. But just for action, man, Lippinets and Figueroa is a much better fight. So, you know, I, I hope Broner gets his stuff together, whatever it is. Um, but he didn't deserve this main event in the first place. And uh, now he's not going to be in the main event. And uh, that's just the way it rolls. And we'll see Lippinets against Omar Figueroa with, uh, with an undercard that features some other solid fights as well. All right, we'll talk about all of that. Usyk Joshua conversation coming first. Hang in there for us as we roll on. We're back on Big Fight Weekend. Now, here's your host, TJ Reeves. Back in again. We are anxious to see what happens. I haven't said it yet in the podcast. I don't know if Ray feels a fan or not. Rage on the Red Sea. Are you a fan of that for Usyk Joshua 2? Or are you like, what ups? As the kids say, what ups? What ups? What It's, uh, yeah. you know, I, I get it. I mean, they, they, uh, they always try to come up with something catchy, but, you know, it ain't exactly the rumble in the jungle. Let's put yes, it like that. No, or the thrill in Manila or anything else. Uh, okay, so we have heard from Anthony Joshua. We haven't talked a lot about Alexander Usyk. And again, we could spend 30 minutes talking about the distraction of being away from Ukraine and, and obviously the horrific things that are going on there. Our colleague David Payne said it well on the podcast that was just before this one on the feed, the top heavyweights podcast, Sean and David and I kind of kicked it around a little bit. And David said it well, he said, it's very easy for us because we're not affected by this to sit and, and kind of just move on with our lives. And maybe it's on the nightly news or whatever, but as David said, uh, there are thousands and thousands and thousands that have died, Russian soldiers, Ukrainian soldiers, Ukrainian civilians. And obviously this has to have some effect on Usyk mentally and otherwise we don't know to what extent it obviously displaced him for training don't know where he would have trained but he's had to he's had to go somewhere else to train all right so let's get into it a little bit here on that aspect what do you think how big of a factor is it that Usyk has had all this weighing on him as the backdrop preparing for this title defense this massive fight there's no doubt about it that it's been a that it's uh, on his mind I mean he's been wearing uh, the the shirt with the colors, you know, with with Ukrainian uh, things on the shirt. They sang the national anthem at the press conference. Uh, but the way that he looks at it, and, and I understand this, you know, when he decided to go and, and go through with the fight, the way that he explained now, Usyk has not really had a lot to say in this promotion. He hasn't really had a lot to say for any promotion. He's a nice guy. He's a funny guy. I've covered some of his American, all of his American fights, and he, he's a pleasant person. But, he, you know, the combination of his just not wanting to be open about much of anything and the language barrier and all that. There's really not a lot, unfortunately for him to talk about because he's a great athlete and a tremendous fighter. Um, you'd, you'd like to get a little more of the personality. It's very difficult. So a lot of the talking has been left up to his promoter, which is Alexander Krasiuk. And, and at the press conference, he made the point about when the war was it's still going on, but when he had decided not to fight and was partaking in the same kind of, uh, defense uh, battalion work as Lomachenko, who's his very, very close friend, like practically his best friend, um, eventually made the decision 
to leave because not because he really wanted to, but because so many people were telling him, you know, you're the champ, you got to go fight the fight, you know, don't give up this opportunity. And they looked at it as a way to bring positive worldwide attention and put Ukraine in a positive light on this massive world stage. It's going to be televised and something like, you know, streamed on the zone or on TV or whatever in, in almost 200 countries and or territories around the world. And it will, uh, you know, it's being talked about in the promotion. So he's doing a service in, in, in their mind, a civic duty to the country. And it's bringing pleasure. Uh, what, what small amount of pleasure can be done to his to his countrymen who are maybe looking for a distraction, who don't want to just think about this war every single minute of the day. And if we have one of their great athletes in a big sporting event, you know, for even for just a fleeting, you know, you know, a couple of times when you think about right. it during the week or leading up to or watching the fight, you know, you can find something positive, something that uh, takes your mind off things. And so that's their sort of perspective. They they want to they want to do this for Ukraine. And that's a lot on his shoulders. But uh, my opinion of, of Usyk is he's a very mentally strong type of person, very grounded, very, very uh, spiritual. And, uh, you know, I don't think it's going to it'll be on his mind, but I don't think in a negative way. Sometimes these types of things have a negative impact on an athlete. If there's some outside the ring issue, uh, distraction, whatever. Uh, I don't think this as much of a, a heartbreaking situation as it is. I don't think it's going to have a negative impact on the way he boxes in the fight. And we should mention too, for all the conversation about the fight being on sky sports and pay-per-view and where's it going to be on in the U S and in other countries, it will be offered for free and it should be for free in Ukraine for anybody that wants to see it and watch it. And it's a, it's, as you mentioned, a moment where, uh, it could be a great source of national pride for them and call more attention to the problems that are still going on there. I mean, we are now six months and counting with that country being attacked and invaded. Uh, and again, we're not going to go down the rabbit hole of all the geopolitics, et cetera, but this will be a big deal in Europe, obviously, on Saturday night on the news, not just the sports news that he's what fighting for a, three portions of the heavyweight title. One of the things that uh, his promoter talked about when he was making his remarks at the press conference was that because of Alexander, Alexander Usyk's position in Ukrainian society as a heavyweight champion and, you know, one of the most famous athletes in probably the entire country uh, and, and a source of pride for the country, that while he was involved in the defense, he also visited hospitals, you know, as a, as a you know, to uplift the, the, the injured yes. as the heavyweight, you know, as a heavyweight champion. And. Uh, as Alexander Krasiak said, every time he would go and talk to the soldiers, you know, he said, you know, they all told him, take the rematch. They wanted to see him fight. So that sort of weighed on Usyk's mind and was a big part of his decision making process to say, you know what, um, I can do better for my country by leaving for this period of time to go train and get myself ready for this big event. And uh, then I can't if I just I'm just another guy, you know, doing the work uh, that's being done in terms of the defense. All right. Good enough. Let's get to it. With the understanding, again, you and I are releasing this a day early. We are going to have the BetUS Boxing Show, a plug for that, on the BetUS platforms, the BetUS app, their YouTube page, where we're going to make more stringent prediction of KO or not, etc. We will get into it a little bit, though, right now. What do you think happens here in a rematch? The first go-around, Usyk won impressively in a decision no knockdowns, although Usyk did score on Joshua and staggered him a couple of times in the fight. This is the rematch now coming around, what, 11 months later. What do you think happens here in the rematch in Saudi Arabia? 
Well, I thought that Joshua did finish the fight at least on a positive note, maybe not in the 12th round, but in the later rounds, he was doing okay and, and making up some ground. And it's hard not to, when I haven't had a chance to talk to Ustik in the build to the fight, but I did spend some time listening and watching and talking with Joshua on that Zoom call, it's hard not to be swayed to his side. But I learned a long time ago, on the, on the night before Fernando Vargas fought Felix Trinidad, I was in Las Vegas for that fight in 2000. And I had picked Trinidad all day long, the entire, uh, since the moment the fight was made. And I went on as a guest. This is before I was at ESPN. I was still at USA Today. I went on Friday night fights as a guest to talk about the fight. And they asked me my pick. And I had spent the day uh, at the gym with Vargas. And I was swayed. And I changed my pick to Vargas. And Tito Trinidad knocked him out. And so all along, since this fight was made, I was picking uh, Alexander Usyk. And I started to feel swayed when I heard Anthony talk today. And he's such a... A, a well-spoken guy and, and so emotional, not emotional, but so convincing in the way he speaks. Um, and I, I'll be honest, like my, my, my heart said Joshua and my head said Usyk, but God damn it. I'm not changing my mind and making a fool of myself. Like I did when I switched from Vargas to Trinidad when to Vargas. we were in school, when they always told you about filling out the multiple choice answers on the big exam, <laughs> your first inclination, your first, Guess is usually the right one. Do not change it. Do so not, so I you're am, going by that here, and you're saying I'm sticking with it, Usyk. Um, listen, uh, you know, I wouldn't be unhappy if, if Joshua were to regain the title. I certainly wouldn't be unhappy if Usyk uh, held the titles. You know, they're both good guys, so I don't have a rooting interest in that regard, even though uh, I I, uh, I think it's better for the business, certainly, if Joshua was the winner. It makes the Fury fight possibly that much bigger. But putting all that to the side, just straight picking the fight, uh, nothing against AJ whatsoever. But I am aware and have been aware of Alexander Usyk since he was boxing in the amateurs. He is a great fighter. He is a future Hall of Famer no matter what happens on Saturday. Um, I just feel like uh, he's going to get the job done again. It's going to be hard for Joshua to that, make that kind of such a radical change uh, in one fight, I think. New trainer. Um Saudi Let's Arabia was. That. Let's get into that because I well, wanted to Saudi ask you Arabia that. Saudi Arabia was good for him the last time he yes, had a it was. loss because he he did go there and beat Andy Ruiz to regain the titles in the rematch and fought a totally different fight. Uh, he can win the fight, but I still I'm rolling with Alexander Usyk. Understood. But on the point, and I want to make a follow up point, but I want you first on the point of Robert Garcia being there when you are watching on Saturday. What are you looking for that is potentially different that says? Joshua's got a better chance to win. Are you looking for attack mode, cut off the ring? What are you looking for that Robert Garcia has done something, gotten through to him tactically differently? What are you looking for? I'm looking for him to use his physical attributes, his advantages. <clears throat> he's a bigger fighter. He's a longer fighter. He's a more powerful fighter. And those are things he just, for whatever reason, he did not use to the best of his capability in the last fight. And I think it was probably by the design of the game plan that 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 McCracken put in, and that's one of the reasons why he's no longer Anthony Joshua's trainer. And uh, you know, Joshua spoke a little bit about that uh, on our Zoom call that he's stubborn and he thought he could outbox the guy, and he went away from what he does best. And so his mindset, he says now, is to come in a more violent fashion, in a a more not reckless but a more physical way. But but Usyk is smart; he knows that's coming. I think Usyk's probably put on a little bit more weight, knowing that that's going to take place. Um, and so I'm just not sure 
that and it's not an indictment of Robert Garcia. Robert's, you know, a probable Hall of Fame trainer. He's been a great trainer for a long, long time. I'm not sure that, you know, the the uh, you, you know the old dog doesn't necessarily learn new tricks, no matter what the the master says or the trainer or the owner or whatever. Uh, you know, if you're with your pet dog or now you're trainer of a boxer, you know, it's hard to get through it. I've talked to so many fighters over the years, TJ, who have changed trainers, mm-hmm. who have t- said time and again, yeah, of course they have a, a, a good rapport and the working is good together and all that. But they don't really truly get to know each other, get on that same page where sometimes you don't even need to say words. There could be a look, it could be a shrug, it could be something like a, some kind of body language. It takes a few fights to get used to that. Him, Anthony Joshua and Robert Garcia have been together for a few months. I think they started working together when AJ was first making the rounds to, to visit American trainers. And he spent some time with Robert. That was probably uh, around the end of last year. So that's, you know, it's nine months or so, but it's not like they've been together the entire nine months. Now, Robert has gone uh, back and forth to the UK to spend time, you know, a few weeks at a time working with Joshua. But again, that it's not, I don't know if that's enough time. He's got to break down what happened in the first fight implement the game plan and see if Anthony Joshua can actually do it. Um, it remains to be seen. My thought is we will see a different Joshua. I believe he will cut the ring off more successfully. Um, I'm not going to go outright right here on this podcast and say he wins, but I think it is a different fight. I'm reserving this. Don't get on me. I'm reserving this for the bet us show to make a final pick, but I think it will be a different do- a Joshua. Well, I, so I have to pick and you don't. <sighs> All right. I'm just going to say to you, I think Joshua wins the fight. And okay, that, then we're, I mean, we're on opposite sides here. I think Joshua cuts the ring off better. I think Joshua gets to him as the bigger guy. I really believe we'll see a different guy. Now, that being said, uh, I could totally see that this is the same thing again, where Usyk is able to successfully stay outside of him and not let it happen. But I just believe it will be different. I've kind of gone back and forth on this. I have too, yes. a little bit. There we go. Last, there we go. I believe, hours. and believe me, I've not been a believer in Joshua for years. And David Payne, again, on the Top Heavyweights podcast that we just did, that we released on this feed, said, when I alluded to this, he said, you are the critic who said this guy's going to get exposed. Deontay Wilder's going to get his hands on him. Somebody else is going to get his hands on him and expose him. And Andy Ruiz did. All right, but I just think it will be different this time around. I think same environment. Uh, of Saudi Arabia where he won before all those things help let's see what happens uh and again we'll formalize whether we like knockout decision one more plug bet us boxing show friday one but eastern time that one's coming that is on one of the, the reasons why it's a must see fight because people of 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 uh intelligent boxing fans can have an honest disagreement mm-hmm. or just don't know how it's going to go like even when i picked usik I don't do it with like the ultimate strong, strong conviction. There's lots of fights that I've picked where I'm like, yes, that guy is going to win the fight. Like when I picked, uh, when I picked uh, uh, Maurice Hooker, you know, to lose the fight uh, a couple of weeks ago, Blair I did Cobbs. that with strong conviction. Yeah, again? Cobbs, right? Yeah, I mean, I thought Blair Cobbs was definitely winning that fight. Like I didn't have a doubt in my mind. You know, I'm not so sure about Usyk and Josh. Right. I mean, it's not obviously they're not the same but, caliber of fights, but but that's what makes it great. Is yeah, that we're looking at a 50-50 fight for three of the heavyweight titles. Here. And I have so. to say also, I mean, I'm very happy. And I think all boxing fans who are at least in this country and plenty of countries all around the world, how great is it to have this caliber of a fight and it's not an extra pay-per-view upcharge? Now, it is in the UK because it's on Skybox Office. But if you subscribe to regular old DAZN, 
you just get it as part of your subscription. The same way if you yep. subscribe to Showtime, you get the card on Saturday. Or in the older days, if you subscribe to HBO, you got the fights on their network. In this case, if you've, if you've been buying the zone or you have a year's worth, or you have a month-to-month, whatever, you just get it as part of the regular package. So I'm not trying to kiss their ass. I'm just saying, you know, I'm, I'm giving credit where it's due because we sit here and we rip on uh, the, 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 way, the lame pay-per-views for the $60, 70 $80. So I'm going to give them some props. If you spent 100 bucks for a year subscription, you're getting this fight as part of that subscription. And that, to me, uh, that must be recognized when we you. dump all over everybody when they do charge money for we an extra, been, extra event. We have been illuminating that point. All right, rest of the card, and then I want to move on to the other two fight cards. We've got the IBF uh, eliminator, essentially. Delayed fight. Philip Hergovich, unbeaten. Finally going to fight Zhang from China here. Zhang says there's going to be millions and millions watching in China here for this. Give me, give me a quick thought on that and the rest of the card here in Saudi Arabia for Saturday. Well, those millions can't get in the ring and help fight for, uh, mm-hmm. for Zhang Zalai. Uh, as you mentioned, this fight was supposed to take place in May on the Canelo Alvarez, Dimitri Bivol card. Uh, Hergovich's father passed away in the, week, in, the, in the weeks leading up to that fight. It was a little bit too much for him to deal with. He withdrew from the fight. It was postponed. Um, uh, Zhang fought another uh, journeyman opponent, Scott Alexander, on that night in a 10-rounder, knocked him out in the first round. And now this fight has been rescheduled. And though it's it's not a, it's it's an eliminator for the IBF. The winner of this fight will be the mandatory challenger for the IBF title. Now, one thing that sets the IBF apart than many of the other organizations is that there is a strict time limit. There are certain protocols. The guys can get exceptions to this and that based on the rules. But eventually, if you are the IBF mandatory challenger, you're either going to get a shot at the champion or that champion is going to be stripped or vacated. And you're definitely going to get a chance to fight for the title. So the winner of this fight. It's not going to necessarily be like in a couple of months. Who knows what happens with the you know, potential Fury fight or whatever. But uh, the winner of the fight is going to be the IBF mandatory challenger and get a shot. And it's a good matchup. They're both um, good punchers. Uh, you know, Hergovich is a younger fighter. Um, Zhang is older. They're both Olympic medal winners. Um, you know, it, it, as heavyweight fights go, it's to me, it's not on the same level as, say, a Wilder, Hellenius, or even a Luis Ortiz versus Andy Ruiz. But... I view Hergovich as uh, a legit in like the bottom part of the top 10. I do consider Zhang to be in the top 10. He's probably just outside the top 10. He looked terrible in the fight against Jerry Forrest, almost got knocked out. He's slow. He's plodding, but he can crack. He's a southpaw. It's an interesting fight. Uh, end of the day, I like the skills, the intelligence, the power, the youth, the hunger, to me, that says Hergovich gets the job done. All right, but it's heavyweight boxing, TJ. One punch can change everything. Absolutely, and but uh, it's and, a it's a nice it's a nice interesting fight. And and Eddie Hearn again in Matchroom have kind of been grooming Hergovich to get him kind of in the mix somehow. Was maybe trying to get him in front of Anthony Joshua at some point. Hasn't worked fast enough for that. So we'll see what happens in that one. We'll move along quickly here on the preview. Omar Figueroa again headlining against Sergey Lipinets. That is the Showtime card. Give me a thought or two on that and anything else on the card that you like. Well, as I mentioned, I think Figueroa versus Lipinets uh, is a better fight in the ring than it would have been had it been a Figueroa versus Broner. Uh, Lipinets, you know, he's a former 140-pound title holder. Figueroa, a former lightweight title holder, although it's been a while. They're both coming off losses. Uh, you know, Lipinets got just abused in his loss against uh, Boots Ennis, who was one of the you know top mm-hmm. young fighters coming up in the sport. That was in a welterweight fight. Um, it's a, it's a good matchup. I mean, it's not, it's not, um, stakes like pound for pound or world titles. It is technically, I guess, a WBC 
140-pound semifinal eliminator. Uh, but it's an important fight because the loser is is going to take a big step back. We may not hear from the loser again. Uh, the winner is, you know, keeps his career alive, moves on to something bigger and better. Um, but it's one of those kinds of fights where, you know, either guy can win. They both kind of look so shaky in the recent fights. All that said, uh, you know, Figueroa, you know, I kind of had a lot of sympathy for what he was going through with the mental health issues. Uh, but when you have to make a pick, you know, Lipinets, it seems to me is the, is the fresher, um, bigger fighter has looked, not that he's looked great, but maybe look marginally better than Figueroa has in a recent fight. So I actually think Lipinets probably gets the job done, but it should be a good crowd pleasing fight. And the undercard, not big names, but it opens up with Roger Gutierrez, who's a fine title holder at 130 pounds. He's defending against Hector Garcia, who, uh, you know, kind of came out of nowhere uh, in his last fight. And he got, he get, he's getting this opportunity. He pulled off the upset against Chris Colbert, which was kind of a shocker to a lot of people. Yep. Uh, so this is the mandatory fight. And then in the main event, remember Josh Taylor, uh, you know, has had, he was undisputed. And then his titles are just kind of dropping off one by one because he wasn't fighting uh, mandatories that were that were uh, up next. He's pursuing the rematch with Jack Catterell. And so therefore, you know, his WBA title, uh, it depends who you believe. He says he vacated the WBA, says he was stripped, sort of like, you know, I quit, no, you're fired, whatever. The bottom line is title's vacant. So it's the uh, Dominican uh, Alberto Pollo taking on back there, Akhmadov for the vacant title. And what's sort of interesting, and some people sort of made it a big deal, if you're a Dominican Republic uh, citizen, uh, Dominican heritage, a fan of Dominican boxers. It's a really big night for Dominican boxing because it's the first time you have with, with uh, Pollo and, and uh, Garcia, both Dominican fighting in, in, in these world title fights on the same night on the same card. That has never happened before from my wow. understanding. And so it's sort of a big deal for them. Um, but you know, all three fights, in my opinion, uh, have a good potential to be crowd pleasing. And uh, the winner of those two title fights, they're going to put themselves in position for obviously uh, bigger and better things. All right, so that's the Showtime card. I'm also. Oh, and by the way, yeah. Let me add one thing. I forgot. They also added. Originally, it was a triple header, but because of the cancellation of uh, Jake Paul against my boy Hasim Rockman Jr., who likes to call me Daniel. <laughs> Daniel. Uh, <laughs> they took the Brandon Lee Will Madera fight from that right. Showtime pay per view that was supposed to take place on the undercard there, and they've now added that to the Showtime card. So instead of having a triple header that starts at nine o'clock Eastern time, it's now a quadruple header with uh, Brandon Lee taking on Madeira in the opener that now starts at eight o'clock. So programming note for our viewer friends who uh, don't want to be an hour late when that fight starts, when that show and, starts. And we're fans of Brandon Lee just on this podcast. We've had him on a couple times before. Exciting fighter out of California, having to step up some in competition. It's good that he still gets to keep his fight intact on the same general timeline. Just a couple mm -hmm. of weeks later, we'll see how he does on the Showtime card. I am also anxious to see ESPN uh, and top-ranked boxing, Emmanuel Navarrete, uh, the WBO featherweight title holder, defends it. He's been one of the more exciting fighters the last two or three years, very active there for a couple of years. Eduardo Baez is the opponent. Give me a quick thought on that in the preview mode, Dan, before we're done. Well, as you mentioned, Navarrete's one of the most exciting fighters in boxing. He's 35-1 with 29 knockouts. He's a good puncher. He's got a lot of weird movements, so he's tough for his opponents to find. He throws with both hands from kind of unusual angles. Um, he makes great matchups and he scores a lot of knockouts and that's what a lot of boxing fans like to see. Uh, and, uh, he's finally getting back in action. He has been out of the ring since last October when he scored that, uh, you know, very dramatic, although somewhat one-sided on the scorecards, but very dramatic, exciting fight against Joette Gonzalez. Uh, so he gets back in, in the ring here 
against Baez. I, I've been hearing that there's a good possibility that he may move up to 130 pounds and then I'll do this in the future. This is possibly his last uh, defense at 126, perhaps. Um, you know, and his opponent, Baez, not a known guy so much, 22, 21, 2 and 2, only seven knockouts, not a big puncher. He's going to probably have his hands full. Uh, you know, looking at it on paper, it's hard to to think of anything other than Navarrete with an exciting uh, victory, Bakat or otherwise. Um, hopefully we get some competition. Um, you know, the guy that he's fighting, uh, you know, two fights ago, he lost to Ra'i Salim, who's an excellent contender at 122 pounds. He then moved up in weight. So this is only going to be a second fight in the featherweight division. But Navarrete came up from 122 also. I just hope they give us some good action. It's two Mexican fighters. They typically will make good matchups with each other. We know the excitement that Navarrete brings. Yep. And uh, this is not a big-time defense relative to fights that there could be. Hopefully, uh, Top Rank and Navarrete can work together to find this man uh, a truly significant fight. Because as exciting as he is, he really hasn't had a fight that really has you know, caught the attention of people against a top, top guy. I guess the biggest one he had was when he won the title in the first fight right, he had with Isaac Dogbay. And the rematch. was uh, kind of making a name for himself and at the that rematch. point. So, right, right, right. You know, so it is what it is. But it's, you know, I'll say this. Whoever Emmanuel Navarrete's uh, fighting, He's definitely worth watching. I consider him to be, you know, among that, you know, a handful of guys. When you see that he's on the schedule, you're like, you know what? I either better make sure I'm watching alive or I damn well better make sure my DVR because is Because he's got power in both hands and he's scored a bunch of knockouts. And let's see, will it be an action fight? Will he get another knockout? Again, that's in San Diego, California. Real quick before we close, anything else on that card, that ESPN top rank card that is of note? Or are we pretty good on that in the preview? Well, they have the San Diego kid, Giovanni Santolin. Uh, he is in the co-feature. He's 29 and 0. He's from San Diego. So, you know, it's going to be, uh, mm -hmm. you know, whatever fans are out there, uh, they'll be cheering him on. He's a welterweight, uh, not in a big fight. He's fighting another undefeated fighter, but not a known guy in uh, Julio Luna. Um, probably the most, the most um, crowd, crowd pleasing, friendly thing that I'm sort of interested in is to, uh, you know, look at some of the preliminary fight. Well, yeah, Nico Ali Walsh, you know, Muhammad Ali's grandson. I've heard he's Muhammad on the card. Ali's grandson. He's I heard on the that. Card. I've heard that too. Yes. He's so they're on making the a thing about it. Like they're fighting at what's called Pachanga Arena, but it's really that's the that's the new name for what is the San Diego Sports Arena, where mm -hmm. his grandfather Muhammad Ali famously had one of his uh, fights with Kenny Norton. So it's sort of like uh, you know he's yep. fighting in places where Grandpa fought because he fought in Madison Square Garden. He fought in 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 other locations uh, where where the grandfather had fought. So that's part of that's uh, the opening TV fight. But there's a there's a fighter on the undercard that's on the ESPN Plus stream who is a Mexican Olympian from uh, 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 not the last Olympics, but the previous Olympics named Lindolfo Delgado, very exciting fighter, uh, heavy handed. He's undefeated. He's on that. So if I'm watching the preliminaries, that's going to be one of the preliminary fights. I want to make sure I see. All right. Good enough on all of these. And again, Usyk Joshua, just one more time. Dan's going to get fed up with this by the time we get to Saturday. The card starts noon Eastern time. No, Adjust your time zone no, 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 no. Well, the televised part of the card, right? The tele. Well, you know what? Here's the thing. That's why I always tell you, let's not get into the time stuff. But I'm going to okay. set this straight. All right. The zone screwed up right. when they announced that they had uh, that they had acquired the rights, which we've all known for a while. But it took them forever to get everything official and papered and done deal and signed before they could announce it. They just announced it on Sunday. In their original announcement, they said twelve o'clock, and they were talking about that was going to be for the main event. Is what it said on the road. Yeah, exactly. Right. Which was just bizarre. As it turned out, that was the main card. Now, I went on the DAZN website on the app, and I looked, and the main card they are listing as 1 p.m. Eastern time, All right. start time. And the main event, from what they tell me, it's not on the DAZN app, main event approximately 
5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Now, that can change. If there's a whole bunch of first-round knockouts or if everything goes the distance or they're doing extra national anthems or they decide to do an infomercial for Saudi Arabia, whatever, right. uh, it could get pushed back. Now, Sky in the U.K. is going to be a little bit, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're what you call the host broadcaster. So they're going to have a little more say-so in how the thing moves. Uh, they, and I know they want to get the show on the road before a certain time it gets too late in their viewpoint in the UK. So if you're in front of your screen, wherever you're watching it by five 30 Eastern time, you should be in good shape. I'm done right. talking about the time. There we go. And again, just to repeat what we said earlier in the podcast, the British media is talking about this. David Payne was repeating it. They have been told that fight, no matter what happens with the undercards, the main event will not happen before 1030 English time, which is 530 Eastern time. So even if, again, there may be a lot of fill, even if the undercard fights are done, the Hergovich fight ends very quickly in the first round, just, just have that in mind. But I'm with you. Be in front of your screen by at least like four Eastern time watching I don't the last know. Listen, couple fights. Yeah. When there's these big kind of cards, yeah. I mean, even if I don't watch every single second of the show, I'm there well ahead of time. I, there are undercard fights that I'm interested in. I want to see the Hergovich fight against Zhang. You know, I'm interested to see how Callum Smith looks. He's fighting in a title eliminator uh, in the fight before that. I'm interested to see, you know, bad dude Jack. And I'm not sure what they're showing on the preliminary part of the before the bell, but right. there's the young kid, Ben Whitaker, that was the medalist in the in the uh, Tokyo Olympics, that's supposed to be the next big thing from Britain, a light heavyweight. He's on the card. I want to see him. Hopefully I can watch it. The point is, I'm not a guy that's Johnny come lately and shows up for the main event. So, you know, if you miss the main event, your own fault. I'm with you. All right, let's see what happens. We're on opposite sides of the aisle. And one more time, we will plug that we'll talk about this more on the Bet US Boxing Show, their platforms, their YouTube page. That is coming Friday live at 1 Eastern time as we release this audio podcast. You've still got time to find it live. Or if you didn't find it live and you're hearing us and you want to see us, you want to see the male model that is Rayfield and TJ, uh, check us out on the BetUS platforms and the YouTube channel even after the fact where we're giving you some gambling advice on all these championship fights. We'll get into more of the specifics of not just who, but the how and the when, W-H-E-N, the fight might end between uh, Usyk and Joshua and the other title fights on the BetUS Boxing Show. For now, it has been a jam-packed edition. Nice job with you and Anthony Joshua briefly there on that conversation. Nice job with Omar Figueroa in the Showtime main event. A ton here, Dan Raphael. Well done. And I don't think we're going to have to uh, be left wanting for any action this weekend. My Lord, from Saudi Arabia to... Hollywood, Florida to San Diego. It's going to be all over the place. We're looking forward to it, right? One more time. It's going to be, this is the kind of good, this is a, this is a really good fight weekend. Uh, you got, and the thing that's weird about it though, TJ, is this. It, it, we're going to start with the biggest fight of them because right. of where it's taking place. The Joshua Usyk fight will be in the books before those other fights. So if this was done in the way you would think it should be done, but time zones not being an issue, you'd start off maybe with the Figueroa show. Then you maybe move on to Navarrete or vice versa, whichever one. And then, of course, you would finish up with the uh, Joshua card. But you know what? I like I like late afternoon, early evening boxing just as well. I'm with you on that. And again, it's going to be a smorgasbord of boxing that day and a long, a long late afternoon slash evening, given 
my prox my location in the Northeast. No doubt about that. And my, my, my location will actually be Nashville, Tennessee. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are playing an all important preseason game with the Tennessee Titans, but I've got to try to keep track of Usyk and Joshua. All that's going on. And the good news for me is the other two cards, the Showtime and ESPN top rank card will be later after that game's over. So I can catch those on the back end of the preseason. And we can't overstate this as we say goodbye Whatever happens in Saudi Arabia is history-making stuff. Either Joshua regains the titles for the second time in the same locale in Saudi Arabia, or Usyk scores another massive win that sets him on the course for the undisputed fight that we believe will happen with Tyson Fury. Uh, so there's going to be incredible drama with that in the afternoon, U.S. time, for that coming. For now, my friend, great work. We appreciate it on the preview, Dan. Thank you, sir. We thank all of you for finding us as well. Again, on this feed, make sure you're following or subscribing. Whatever happens, Dan and I are back to recap it off the weekend with the Fight Freaks Unite recap podcast. You'll get it right here on this feed if you're following or subscribing. For now, we're good on the Big Fight Weekend Preview. Enjoy all the action from Saudi Arabia to Florida to San Diego. For now, we're done here on the Big Fight Weekend Preview. Bye.